From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Father Brian Mullady. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. A tremendous Thursday to each and every one of you. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line Thursday. Father Brian Milady is in the house. If you've got a question for Father, the number is 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, we'd still love to hear from you. That number is one 201 Two nine eight five, and we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at one two zero five two seven one two nine eight five. You can always send us an email. That email address is openline at ewtn dot com. I'm Jack Williams. Michael McCall producing the program. Your call screener is Matt Gubensky and Jeff Burson, magnificent person handling our social media efforts. So if you're watching us on YouTube or Facebook Live, you can type a question into the chat window, and it may find its way to us by the end of the program. And our host, as he is every Thursday, Dominican Father Brian Mullady. How are you? Okay. So, um, assuming that our Lord tarries beyond our lifetime, um, we're all going to have a particular judgment, eh? Yes, and, 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 of course, and, and, and of there's course. there's only a certain amount of possible outcomes there, aren't there? Right. And you're going to talk uh, a little the, bit about those four last things. Well, especially two of them, yeah. Mm-hmm. The, uh, because, you know, we're coming toward the end of the liturgical year, and so we're dealing with what's called eschatology, or the Book of Revelation, and in the way liturgical time is structured, we come now to the consummation of our life. And so we have two of these, are death and judgment, to which we all have to submit. But then we have heaven and hell. And I think it's important today to examine the fact, A, it's possible to go to hell. I know people don't like hearing that, but that's the way it is. And that the whole reason we exist is that we may go to heaven. Often I have the impression that Catholics think that basically our life consists of avoiding sin. Well, we do have to avoid sin. But why? because it interrupts our journey toward heaven. And also Catholics have the impression that it's all about sin, and they don't think about the positive aspects of our religion. We have a lot of number of problems in the church today, and every time I sit down for coffee or something with someone after Mass on Sunday, all they do is lament these problems or they're trying to solve them in the sense that they don't like what some of the bishops teach or the pope teaches or those things, 
And, and that's fine, as long as it's not authoritatively defined. But I say to some, last Sunday I said, you know, just once at 7 a.m. on Sunday, I'd like to sit down here and have someone say, oh, Father, I just love being a member of the Catholic Church. It's such a wonderful society. We have so many wonderful things we've been given by our Lord because we, we, we don't seem to appreciate what it is our faith means to us when all we're doing is trying to criticize the people who aren't, let's say, totally up to snuff when it comes to faith. Um, so during this time when we're getting ready to celebrate the end of the liturgical year, let's remember that the reason we exist is to go to heaven. When I was a little boy, uh, remember in the Baltimore Catechism, one of the questions at the beginning was, why did God make me? And the answer was, God made me to know, love, and serve him in this world and to be happy with him in the next. Well, if we're made for happiness, then we should be happy to be in our religion instead of always worrying about who's tripping up over saying it exactly the right way. And I've also found with some th people that unless it's said it exactly the right way, they won't have anything to do with it. Now, it's true, doctrine is intellectual, and it has to be properly defined. But there's a lot more to our religion than being sure that we've got the doctrine correct you have to then love God whom the doctrine represents. And interestingly enough, after Vatican II, they tended to make a choice between uh, right living and right believing. Well, there is no choice. Each one entails a relationship with the other. And I can't say I love Christ if I have a mistaken idea of who Christ is. So at least in general terms, I have to have it right, and that's what the creeds are for. So they say things like, well, religion's the enemy of creeds. We don't need to know all those things in the books and to learn our religion uh, from our desk. What we need to do is live it in a, a pastoral sense. Well, that's true, but the supreme pastor was also the supreme teacher. And if you're going to get it right you've got to have a correct idea about what it is you're actually saying you profess your faith in. So during this time at the end of the calendar, uh, the uh, uh, calendar year that ends in the, you know, um, in December, we have another year, which is the year of grace, it isn't a calendar year because it doesn't end when nature ends. It ends rather when we celebrated the consummation of all things in Christ. And then it begins with almost the same readings for the creation of all things in Christ. When we begin it with Advent again. And that's the nature of liturgical time. So we need to be aware that in a given calendar year, we're celebrating all the mysteries of our salvation, that 
basically began with the creation and end with the final judgment, which is the second judgment. As you know, there are two judgments. There's a particular judgment where our deeds will be judged individually, but then there's the proclamation of that to the whole assembled creation. And the wicked will have their suffering added to when that's proclaimed, and the good will have their glory added to, or better to say God's glory added to, because God gives them the ability to live out his grace as it is. Therefore, we always say, and we have to say it over and over again, along with John, come Lord Jesus. 833-288-EWTN, that is our toll-free number. It is a free telephone call anywhere in North America, 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, we would still love to hear from you on Open Line Thursday. That number is one 201 2985 and we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at 1 205 271 2985 and you can always send us an email that email address again is openline at ewtn.com that's openline all one word at ewtn.com uh, it's an EWTN Open Line Thursday edition with Father Brian Milady. So pick up the phone and give us a call with any of your questions about the Catholic faith. It's a free telephone call anywhere in the United States and Canada. 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. And if you happen to be watching us on YouTube or Facebook Live, we can tape your questions that way as well. All you have to do is move over to the chat window and type your question into that space. And our social media maven, Mr. Jeff Burson, will uh, grab that question, put it up on the board for us, and Father Milady may get an opportunity to answer that before the end of the program. 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. It's Open Line Thursday with Father Brian Milady. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. With news from EWTN's Vatican Bureau, you can watch all of the important events from Rome, even if you don't have TV access. Using the latest technology, we've made it possible to watch the latest news from the Holy See, all delivered directly to your home via live streams. You can watch live on EWTN's YouTube channel or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Um, That is a service provided to you from us here at EWTN. 
833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. And, Father, we had a question last week regarding uh, whether or not voting for or uh, candidates who support abortion or proposals, uh, like the one that was recently on the ballot in Ohio, that support abortion and um, whether or not that uh, a mortal sin is committed just by virtue of the fact that you may have voted for that candidate or that proposal. And someone was looking for a little bit of clarity because they sort of thought that we were kind of leaving the door open to vote for things that are contrary to the teaching of the church, uh, you know, based on our intent. Yes, well, I I consider this a very difficult question to answer, because you, uh, as far as the truth is concerned, it's obvious that abortion is a mortal sin. Now, as far as a per- because it's murder for one thing, but apart from that, you have the issue of voting for candidates, and that is its own quagmire, because. I don't know if you can say that everybody who votes to end abortion is good, heaven-bound, and everybody who votes to uh, tolerate abortion is wicked, um, hell-bound, you could say, Uh, because there are other reasons for doing that. I remember when we, in Oregon, we had this problem because there was a uh, something on the ballot which limited abortion. And the Vatican has a teaching that if you vote for anything that promotes abortion, that you're committing a sin. So all the more traditional Catholics said, well, that, that means you can't vote for anything that will tolerate a sin. And I said, so... Even though if you put if you vote for this and it's not true, more children will die because you're not passing anything. Whereas if you vote to limit this, given the fact that you are working, let's say, for one that will end it, then I think that is covered under the idea of the toleration of evil. And actually, there was a cardinal in Rome that came out with that interpretation and said, no, uh, if, if the understanding is you can't pass a law which forbids all abortion, then you pass one which will limit it. And I don't think at the present time in our country, at least in most states, a law which forbids all abortion including in the case of rape or incest, will be passed. I just don't. Now, I could be wrong about that, but we want to save as many of the children as possible. Always, of course, looking for the time when we can pass a law which will forbid it altogether. So the, the issue isn't the thing, because the thing is obviously wicked and evil. It's the... Uh, toleration of it, given the circumstance that you can't forbid all evil. And um, that was what I was trying to couch my reply as, that 
Um, and I, and I, and again, I think it's a very difficult question when it comes to issues in politics, because politics is the art of the possible. It's not necessarily the art of what is. And so, anyway, I'm sure there are people who would disagree with me about this, but. Uh, and, and we should, again, try to pass a law which forbids all abortion. But it doesn't seem like that's likely in most states now. What I did think was positive in doing away with Roe versus Wade is the idea that that should not have been solved by eight people in the Supreme Court for the whole country. It should be a matter of argument, political argument, and people trying to uh, push their point of view to convince the other citizens that what they're doing is, in fact, destroying human life. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. First up today is Teresa in Palm Beach Gardens, Florida, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Teresa, you're on with Father Brian Milady. Hello, Father. Hi. My question is, my question is, at the end, the second coming, at the end of the time, when people are in purgatory, or people that are going to die and are supposed to go to purgatory, does everybody go out of purgatory, or is there still purgatory after the after he yeah. comes back? And what yes. happens? Yes. Well, the only eternal states are heaven and hell. So at the end of time, purgatory would cease to exist. And I probably have to live through the end of time and have your sins proclaimed of the whole assembled creation constitutes those people's purgatory. But there will be no none left. Thanks, Teresa. We appreciate the call today. That opens up a line for you at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833 833- Two eight eight three nine eight six. We head next to Buffalo, New York. Saley is listening on um, Ave Maria Radio by her phone today. Saley, you are on with Father Brian Milady. Hi, Father. Thank you for being a Catholic priest for us and giving us the Eucharist. Um, my question is: If Jesus is up in heaven. On the right hand of his father, um, in his body, how can we receive him, body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Eucharist? Well, it's actually his body we're receiving from heaven. Uh, it's not a different body. Uh, Christ's body, which is in heaven, becomes present here on earth through the person of Jesus. And so uh, it's not a question of the body's up there, and this is something else down here. It's truly the body of Christ, Aviarum Corpus, hail true body. And as a result, we're communicating in the body, as it also now exists in heaven, and it was the same body to the person of our Lord that walked the streets of Israel or Palestine 2,000 years ago and healed and spoke and that kind of thing. 833-288-EWTN, that is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986.
Um, Wyatt wants to know, he said, aside from the direction of the Holy Spirit, what determines which order men become a part of when they enter religious life? Well, a part of it is your own personality. Because, obviously, religious life, in its general essence, is the same for everybody. Because it involves the three vows, and it often involves community life. Sometimes it doesn't. But it fits the personality of the person who professes it. So, for example, in my case, though I have great respect for the Jesuits, there's no way I could be a Jesuit. <laughs> it doesn't fit my personality. It's too confining for me. Whereas someone else might find uh, my order too lax or too open in its uh, lack of discipline, where they need a, a stronger, uh, well, more militant experience of discipline. So, But the Holy Spirit will call you to whatever community he thinks fits your personality, as well as the religious life in general. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Next up is Bob in Houston, Texas. He's listening on Guadalupe Radio. Bob, you're on with Father Milady. Hello, Father. Thanks for having me on. Uh, my comment is that as a taxpayer, I don't think I should be responsible for paying for anybody else's abortion, and I don't think I should be responsible for having to pay for children that are raised out of wedlock uh, through welfare. And so my point is, is that uh, I think that if a woman has a child out of wedlock, uh, she should then have her tubes tied so she cannot do that anymore. She can't keep any more of this abuse on the, on the taxpayers. And it's not, uh, so I'm not saying I'm in favor of abortion, but, but I certainly am in favor of these people that can't control their sex life. Yes, but that's not the child's fault. And the child has, you know, has no, nothing he did wrong to be reduced to destitution or whatever. Um, as to the first, I think you're right. But as to the second, I don't think you are. Uh, we have a responsibility to support the, well, the poor and the disadvantaged and that sort of thing. And, of course, a baby obviously can't carry out these advantages that we have. Uh, not only in that, in the case you mentioned, does the person not really have a family, but when they get older, they probably won't have an education either. Not necessarily, but possibly. So um, I wouldn't limit anything when it came to responsibly uh, taking care of the weakness of another. But as to having to support abortion, no. You can't be forced to do that against your will. On the other hand, you may go to jail. <laughs> Um, because the society may try to require you to do that. But there is no moral obligation to do it. 833-288-EWTN, that's our toll-free number. It is a free telephone call anywhere in North America, 
833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, you can give us a call at one 205 271-2985. It's EWTN's Open Line Thursday with Father Brian Mullady. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. That's the number Joe used, a first-time caller in the great state of Minnesota listening on Real Presence Radio. Joe, thanks for holding through the break. You're on with Father Milady. Hello. Hey, yeah, my question is where specifically in Scripture do we find that we should exalt Mary? I know there's a lot of church history Catholic history that 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 raises her up, but that doesn't do no good because you know if we're going to follow the Bible, we need to know where this is. Well, try the Magnificat. All generations will call me blessed. That's that's Mary who's saying that. She is being exalted by our Lord, and that's scripture. Literal text. 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Steve's in California. He's watching us on YouTube today. Uh, Steve, you're on with Father Milady. Thank you, gentlemen. Uh, Father, just was wondering, I, I saw an article that's talking about how the Dominicans are experiencing some uh, significant growth in vocations. Um, I really respect your order and was wondering if you knew why this was. Uh, well, the answer to the second part is no. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, and the answer to the first part is uh, the New York province has experienced sustained specific growth in vocations. My province, the California province, this year has experienced a major influx of novices. But that's the first time that's happened in years. Um, I don't really know. I suspect that people are looking to serve God and they're tired of fluff and nonsense. And so they're looking again at religious life is my general gut reaction, but I don't know, frankly. Yeah, I think especially among the young people, they can, uh, they they have a keen awareness of authenticity, and you know, especially with some of the religious, uh, the female orders in your, in your order, right? Uh, really, right. just they're running right. out of room. Some of them. Well, as you know, I taught both those groups, <laughs> so, beginning back in the early '80s. Um, yeah. So uh, yeah. I think he means the male section, but uh, yeah, it's difficult to say. Uh, we have to remember that vocations are given to us by God, not by us. And so why God has chosen to give us these, I don't know, except that you have to play the game in the sense of 
you have to go by the rules. And with orders that don't go by the rules, they haven't got an infrastructure uh, that will promote a divine, holy way of life. And perhaps that's the reason that God hasn't sent them a lot of vocations. Thanks, Steve. We appreciate the call. 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. Speaking of religious orders, we're going to head next to Tonopah, Arizona, where Mother Angelica's Poor Clares have a foundation, a beautiful foundation there in the desert in Arizona. Julie is a first-time caller listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Julie, you're on with Father Brian Milady. Thank you for taking my call. I appreciate what you do. Um, I have a question. I started a few years ago going to uh, the grave sites of my relatives on All Souls Day um, a few years back, and I heard for the first time this year about the indulgence. And I am a little bit, my question is, the indulgence, is it for the people that you pray for? Do you have to pray at each site? Is that for you? How, how is this? I've never heard of the indulgence before, and I've always felt like it has been um, uh, a benefit to my loved ones that I pray over their grave sites on that date. But I did not uh, know what about the indulgence. Well, the church uh, has been given the ability to apply certain prayers to the temporal punishment due to our sins from this world in purgatory. It has absolutely nothing to do with hell or heaven. This ability is something that you, well, the church makes certain stipulations about it. And to the extent that you observe the stipulations, we think that you are in union with the loving act of Christ. And so it's actually Christ's love that resolves for this temporal punishment, not eternal punishment, which would be heaven or hell. So, yes, since we have the ability to preach the indulgence, then if you are as a preacher preach the indulgence, or certain indulgences are connected to certain prayers, we do believe that God recognizes that and aids in the purification of the person involved. Because after death, we can't do anything positive to purify ourselves. On earth, we can have our purgatory on earth. But after death, we can't do that. It's all passive. So we help these people by our actions and by applying the infinite treasury of merits of Christ to uh, these poor souls. And we do it by making use of the uh, practices which the indulgence asks of us. So indulgences are real and they have to do with punishment and they have to do with the punishment, which is either temporal, like uh, going uh, experiencing 
sickness or something when you're sick, but not death or whatever. And they also, after you do these prayers, you join yourself to the infinite marriages of Christ's love, and so you apply Christ's love to these people. Because following Maccabees, it's a whole unwholesome thing to pray for the dead. And Julie, with regards specifically to the uh, the November um, uh, indulgence that you may have mm-hmm. read about, I think the specifics of that is it's, it's November 1st through the 8th, and you're allowed the potential of gaining one plenary indulgence per day for each of those days, and that would require that you pray at a cemetery and then fulfill the remaining normal requirements for a plenary of indulgence, and of course it's important to remember that one of those uh, be that you are uh, detached from sin, both mortal and venial, and um, and those would definitely be for the people in purgatory that would be the recipients of that indulgence. Does that help? That is wonderful to hear. Yes, I will make sure I do that next year. Thank you so much for what you do, and thank you for answering my call. Yes, as, I understand yep. it perfectly. But as Father said, it's always good to pray for the dead. <laughs> and it's an act of love, remember. It's not a ledger system. Yeah. And actually, <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, Father, our tradition tells us that, that if we pray for the people in purgatory, it makes their prayers for us more effective. Yes. There's a, a disputed question over whether they should pray for us, so we should ask them to distract themselves from their own purgation. But certainly one of the traditions is that we should ask them to pray for us, yes. Um, Thank you so much, Julie. We appreciate the call. Uh, Anna's watching us on YouTube, Father, and she says, So Adam and God walked in the cool of the evening with all the animals. She wants to know if the animals are now wild to us because Adam (laughs) sinned. Well, uh, that's a symbolic way of saying that man was at peace with creation. And uh, yes, uh, the animals now, because of the sin, like the earth, would resist um, being uh, subject to human authority and to human domination. Um, be sure to check out, as I mentioned earlier, The World Over with Raymond Arroyo tonight at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, he'll have Bishop Joseph, Joseph Strickland, and they will discuss the circumstances of his recent dismissal. And uh, Robert Royal and Father Gerald Murray, the papal posse, will react to the Strickland interview. And much more tonight on The World Over with Raymond Arroyo tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern Time on EWTN Television and Radio. 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number. We still have time for your phone calls and open lines for you at 833-288-3986. Matthew in the United Kingdom is watching on YouTube, and he says, Dear Father, can you give us an idea of how the rosary is prayed in the Dominican tradition? I especially mean its form and how you can manage five decades in 13 minutes. Uh, I have no idea why you asked me in the last part of the question. 
I don't either. <laughs> um, he must have heard that. Uh, you take as long as it takes. Yeah. Uh, there are people who sit and go, Hail Mary. Full of, no, I don't think that's the right spirit. It's a form of meditation. But then we had a lay brother once who go, <laughs> Jesus, like that. I don't think that's the right way either. But um, the form is this more or less the same as the present form we have in the Roman rite. It's just that we begin the rosary differently because we look on it as the divine office for the laity. So we don't begin with the Apostles' Creed. We begin the way the divine office begins. Lord, open my lips. God, come to my assistance. And other than that, it's pretty much the same. Uh, Mark wants to know, how does free will work in relation to God's providence and omniscience? <laughs> oh, my. I just love these questions I'm supposed to answer in five minutes <laughs> that have crossed people's eyes for centuries. Uh, look, God's omniscience, his being all-knowing, doesn't alter our free will at all. That's a part of his omniscience. He knows what we're going to choose. The same with his providence. It doesn't change the fact that our choices are a part of his providence. And he wills that his providence be carried out also with our cooperation. So it's not a matter of we're slaves or puppets in the hand of our Lord because he happens to know what we're going to do. In fact, the Lord knowing what we're going to do uh, helps us to carry it out more freely and more fully and also places us in the broad schema, the broad panorama of the history of the world. And as a result, um, his omniscience and omnipotence are central to the carrying out of that will. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Kathy is in Mitchell, South Dakota, a first-time caller listening on Real Presence Radio. Kathy, you're on with Father Brian Milady. Good afternoon. Thanks for taking my call. Mm -hmm. um, you just talked about indulgence, which answered some questions for me, which I'm very thankful a couple of weeks ago, we were babysitting our grandkids in a different town, and they go to a Lutheran memorial church, and the pastor was talking about Martin Luther and how he had broken away from the church. He had 95 grievances that he was upset about, and one of them being that indulgence was something that Church, the Catholic Church, required people to spend money and pay money to attain indulgence so that their loved ones could go to heaven. That upset me very badly because our grandkids are sitting there and telling them that Catholics are bad people. Is <laughs> kind of the way we took it. Well, you have to look at it in the context in which that was done. 
the point of indulgences is you have to do a good work for the church. Now, most of us today wouldn't consider, you know, giving money to the church a good work, although it is. But that particular indulgence, if you recall, was preached because they were building St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. <laughs> and so they needed the money. Obviously, that is a magnificent, magnificent church. And it's kind of the way people collect money for stadiums today. You know, they were collecting money for this beautiful, magnificent church. So and the, oftentimes the preachers have an unfortunate way of putting things. And supposedly the Dominican who preached the indulgence from uh, Italy, his name was uh, Tetzel. One of his famous lines was, uh, when the coin in the coffer springs, rings, the soul from purgatory springs. Now that seems crass to us, but to the people at the time, it didn't really seem that strange because they were used to giving uh, alms, only in this case they gave the alms to build this beautiful church that everyone could benefit from and worship in. They certainly didn't do it to get money for themselves to go on vacation or something. So they did it because they wanted to have this wonderful place, which even today, people all over the world come to visit to marvel at the art and the architecture and that sort of thing, as a fitting place in which the Mass is celebrated. Uh, also, the indulgence was uh, recommended by the German princes because they needed to fill up their quota, you could say, of funds to help build St. Peter's Basilica. So they figured the easiest way to do this was to offer people a spiritual good. Now, it's true that this was a very crass way of putting it, but you got to remember you weren't generally dealing with people who could even read and write. So they, as a result, chose a very popular way to put it. And as we all know, when we deal with popular things and we try to reduce them to a person's uh, understanding, that we often make mistakes in the way we put it. So anyway, that's what happened. Now, regarding your children, grandchildren, yeah, it, those are things that people don't need to know, and that's why we don't pay, take people, take children to Lutheran Eucharists, because we think they're wrong, and they're very susceptible to what they're taught there. And so if people make fun of our religion, they pick it up. So my advice to you would be to remember that if you're Catholic, you should worship in the Catholic Church, not the Lutheran Church, because we don't agree with them about everything. 
God bless you, Kathy. Thank you so much for the call today. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Richard is a first-time caller in the Commonwealth of Virginia listening on the EWTN app. Richard, thanks for holding. Welcome to the program. Uh, Thanks very much. I have a difficult uh, question slash situation. Uh, I've been approached in my life maybe four times by homosexual uh, men and once by a homosexual boy of uh, 9, 10, 12 years old, somewhere in there. And uh, it's a disgusting experience. However, uh, one time I had to call the police on one. Another time I tried to help someone uh, convert to go to church. And uh, all I got was a, a demonic laugh. So I think uh, that there is uh, no salvation, although I've heard as hearsay that uh, one one was uh, converted. But uh, I'm thinking that uh, maybe the Pope uh, may have opened the windows uh, for salvation uh, for them. But uh, in my experience... I, I see that they're so captured that there, there's no way if, for them to have salvation. Yes, but what our attitude is, is we don't condemn the inclination. They have to be as chaste as everybody else. But we do condemn the deeds. So they need to have pointed out to them that the deeds are evil and they can be justified. But we don't uh, hold the person in lack of respect because they have this inclination. On the other hand, I wouldn't give in to it. Or if I had experienced the fact that this person had this inclination, I'd run far and run fast. I mean, I'd stay as far away from them as possible. You know, Father, it's uh, it, it's it's interesting when you find yourself. I think sometimes in these uh, situations where you contemplate the the what seems to be improbability of someone's conversion, and we can't really ever presume that because you know if you think about just these individuals, Richard, that you're that you're talking about, you know, imagine if they were walking around in the Virginia area. And they were identifying Christians and then killing them and doing this, you know, repeatedly. And essentially, that's what St. Paul did, right, Father? Mm hmm. Yep. And we can see the conversion that was affected in his life. So uh, pray for those folks. Sometimes, Father, that's all we can do is pray for people, huh? We're not necessarily right. called to be in the face of everybody who doesn't believe the way we do. Right, 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 right. In fact, as we know, when you're in people's face, often that makes them more obstinate in their wickedness than if you leave them free to decide things for themselves. God bless you, Richard. Thank you so much for the phone call today. Um, Got an email here from uh, Lisa, and she says, At the second coming, we kind of had this a little bit earlier, but at the second coming, what will happen to the people who need to go to purgatory? So not so much maybe the ones that are already there, but the people that 
would otherwise go to purgatory had our Lord not returned at that moment. Well, it's the same. They, whatever is the final consummation of all things in Christ, especially the proclamation of wickedness, even, you know, now you have people here, you were talking about conversion. Uh, if a person who's wicked converts, that both will be proclaimed uh, to the symbol creation, and that will add the conversion to the um, passion, uh, compassion of God, because we'll see how powerful he is, where he can even convert people who are against him. And uh, but it's the same idea, yeah. And then uh, Will wants to know how is the mass an unbloody sacrifice? Well, the Mass is an unbloody sacrifice because in heaven Jesus is continually offering himself to his Father. But he doesn't obviously bleed up there or get killed up there. That happened once and for all here. Uh, and so the internal oblation, giving of self, which is involved in the actual worship of sacrifice, continues to occur for all eternity but without the eternal oblation that is bloody, which occurred once and for all in the Passion. Well, thank you so much for tuning in to a Thursday edition of EWTN's Open Line with Father Brian Milady. Father, would you leave us with a blessing? May the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit descend upon you and remain with you forever. Amen. On behalf of our host, Father Brian Milady, our producer, Michael McCall, call screener, Matt Gubensky, and our social media maven, Mr. Jeff Burson. I'm Jack Williams. Once again, thanks for tuning in to Open Line Thursday. Back at it tomorrow with our very own Vice President of Theology, Mr. Colin Donovan. On behalf of the entire staff here at EWTN, we hope that you have a great rest of your day and have a wonderful Friday and weekend following. God bless.